Our Old Testament lesson this morning uh, actually comes from the book of Ezekiel. This is Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 22 through 28. And uh, this is probably not what you were expecting to hear this morning. But this is a uh, passage talking about the restoration of Israel from exile and the promise that God gave before he ever did it. This is Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 22 through 28. And before we read, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for this day that you have made. And God, we thank you for your word, which you have given to us. Or we ask that you would help us this morning. Lord, help us to pay attention. Lord, in a uh, time and in places of so much distraction, Lord, help us to pay attention. Lord, help us to hear your word. Lord, help us to hear from you. Lord, that we would hear the good news as good news. And Lord, as we go from here uh, this morning, we ask that you would help us to continue to pay attention, to pay attention to your word, to pay attention to what you are doing, the things that you have said, and the things that you have promised. Lord, we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 22 through 28. It says, Therefore say to the Israelites, This is what the Sovereign Lord says. It is not for your sake, people of Israel, that I am going to do these things, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations where you have gone. I will show the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations the name you have profaned among them. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the sovereign Lord, when I am proved holy through you before their eyes. For I will take you out of the nations. I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Then you will live in the land I gave your ancestors. You will be my people and I will be your God. And as we turn to our New Testament lesson, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 18 through 25. For those of you who haven't noticed yet, we're just going straight through the book of 1 Peter uh, each week, taking the next little section. And every week, it sure seems that there are uh, direct tie-ins to what uh, we're looking at in John. And today is no different. This is second, or 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 18 through 25. It does begin talking to slaves, and we are not going to spend time right now discussing the differences between slavery in that day and what normally comes to our minds uh, in modern-day America <laughs> uh, with the history we've had, unfortunate history of slavery here. But here's what he says. Slaves, in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you, and you endure it, 
This is commendable before God. To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, this morning, uh, we are doing something maybe a little unexpected uh, as we, there we go, something a little unexpected as we turn to our uh, gospel lesson this morning, which is the sermon text as well. And when I say unexpected, I mean, obviously, Easter morning is a time of uh, the unexpected when, uh, like I mentioned earlier, the women came to the tomb and didn't expect to find it the way they found it. However, I hope this will all make sense in a bit. We are uh, taking a look at John chapter 13. And uh, so we're not... When I say unexpected, we're going to be looking at John chapter 13, which is before Jesus is crucified. And it's before he's raised from the dead. So we say, well, today, shouldn't we be reading one of the passages where he's raised from the dead? (laughs) And um, maybe. But we have talked about this before. uh, when We've been talking about it all morning long, but we've talked about it before how uh, there's this the resurrection, the resurrection is kind of this twist, like at the end of a really good uh, book or movie where that twist at the end makes you go back and think about everything that you've seen so far in a new light. And the resurrection is that twist, and the resurrection is that for us, where it, when, when we really come to terms with what it means that Jesus died and was raised again, that for us is that twist that ought to be in the middle you know, of our own lives. That should be at the center of our lives that makes us rethink everything about who we are and what it means to be human. And then what it means especially to be created by God and created uh, for life with God. So uh, one of the ways this plays out, though, is that it was a big twist for the disciples who had been around Jesus all, you know, three years going with him and hearing him and watching him and being with him, and then he dies, and I think it's over. And this resurrection at the end then is this big twist that then they have to kind of go back and look at everything that he did and said in a new light. But it wasn't a surprise. It wasn't this big twist. It wasn't that for Jesus. He knew this was coming. And so that's one of the ways that you can go back and look at everything that he did and said is he did it and said it as someone who knew he was going to die and be raised again. So many times throughout the Gospels, we have these occasions of Jesus telling his disciples, I'm going to go to Jerusalem, I'm going to suffer, I'm going to be killed, and then I'm going to be raised again. And they miss it. 
It's right there, and they miss it uh, until he's raised again. And then they look back on everything and go, oh, my goodness, he told us. And that also makes us view things differently. So what we're going to do is actually spend some time over the next, oh, quite a few weeks looking at the day before Jesus goes to the cross. Not at Resurrection Sunday, but on the day before he goes to the cross. Because, like I say, Jesus knows that this is what's coming. And if you know this is what's coming, how do you spend your last moments on earth? And what Jesus did is he gathered his disciples together to prepare them for what was coming. Did they understand what he was doing at the time? No. (laughs) But he was preparing them in a way that then, uh, after the resurrection, as they look back on this night, they would understand. He actually says to them that night that he would send uh, the Holy Spirit to them, who would uh, teach them all things and remind them of everything that he said to them. And so we're going to look at that night. We're going to look at the ways that Jesus spent uh, this last night with his disciples as a way of preparing them. But we're going to do so as those who have already understood that there's a resurrection coming, that he, has, that he was raised from the dead uh, just a few days after this. He knew that. We know that now. And so we can look back as uh, those seeing with resurrection eyes. So here we go. This is John chapter uh, 13. And we're looking at verses 1 through 17. And I will just read the whole thing so you hear it all together in context, and then we will go back through it and kind of break it down for us. It says, It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and to go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, You do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Well, then, Lord, Simon Peter replied, Not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, Those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, 
nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. All right. So going back to the beginning, when does this take place? Right before uh, they celebrate the Passover together. Those of you who uh, took part in the Seder this past week, uh, you'll know that reading this particular passage is a part of that celebration. And um, because this is when this is taking place. It's Passover time, and they are gathering together to celebrate together, Jesus with his disciples. And uh, I don't know if you caught this, but uh, this is how Jesus is spending this last night with his disciples, knowing that he's about to go to the cross. If, if you knew you had 24 hours to live, he didn't even have that, by the way. <laughs> it's maybe more 12 to 18 hours-ish. <laughs> if you knew that that's what you had left to live, how would you spend it? I think it's a question worth thinking about. And I think for a lot of us, uh, the kind of honest answer there is, if I knew I had just a little time left, it would be, well, what can I do to enjoy the time that I have? How can I uh, have the kind of maximum comfort or whatever in enjoyment in the time that I have left? And I want you to notice that when Jesus knows his time is short, it says that what he does is he loves his disciples. That's what he does. He serves his disciples. This is how he spends his last hours. Um, it even, if you look at that first section, it says, uh, let's see. verse 3, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and they had come from God and was returning to God. So he knows that this is what's going on, and then it says, so... He got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist. He knows this is it, that this is the moment. And instead of saying, guys, I got a lot on my mind. Why don't you take care of all this stuff? Uh, Peter, you want to go wash everybody's feet? And, well, first of all, he never would have asked Peter to wash somebody's feet because that kind of thing was not done. The uh, washing of feet was such a demeaning and degrading thing that um, in most Jewish circles, you would not even have another Jewish person is they're hosting the meal, wash the feet. This would be, you know, a, a servant and most likely a Gentile, not a Jewish person, that would be the one who would do the feet washing because it was such a socially low-down thing to do. You just didn't do that. But Jesus, knowing his time is short, gets up from the table, wraps a towel around his waist, and begins to wash his disciples' feet. It is it makes absolute sense why Peter said, you're not washing my feet. He knows this is not how this works. You should not be doing this. It's the same kind of thing that Jesus says, or that Peter says to Jesus when he's like, no, quit talking like you're going to go die in Jerusalem. No, you're going you're gonna to be victorious, right? Don't talk like that. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the thing, only human concerns. And, and it's the same thing here. Peter still has this uh, human way of looking at things. He's not looking at it uh, through the eyes of God. He's not looking at it through the eyes of Jesus. He's looking at it through the eyes of society. And society says, Jesus should not be doing that. He should not be stooping down and washing the dirt off his disciples' feet. 
That's gross. But this is what Jesus does. And I think what's helpful in understanding part of this, I mean, Jesus even says to them, you do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. I think what's helpful in part of this is just understanding that Jesus has a different perspective than I think most people have on what life is about. What is the, the goal? What is the mission? What is the point? And for, well, let's look at sports. If you were, um, we, we can talk about sports. We can't watch any right now. We can talk about it. If you're playing in a, uh, if you're playing in a basketball game and it comes down to the very end of the game, do you look at the scoreboard and say, you know, if we had a few more points, that'd be great. But look, time is short. I'm tired. I think I'm just going to go sit down. We'll let the other team just finish this off. I'll rest. No. No, you realize that the reason that you're there, the reason you're playing this game is to try to score as many points as you can. And so when the uh, time gets short, it actually m- increases the player's uh, motivation towards the goal, right? This is where you start seeing people uh, kind of double down and try even harder to score points than maybe they were in the first quarter because they know that the mission of the game is to get more points. Now, Jesus is not about trying to score points. <laughs> That's not what life is about. But what we see with Jesus, and I think what we see with us, if we're honest, is how we answer that question of how do you spend if you know you've got 24 hours left, what do you do with that time? Gives you an indication of what you believe the mission is in life. And for Jesus, what we see is that the mission is love. The mission is service. And so when his time is short, when it's down in the fourth quarter and you know, the clock is running down, he doesn't say, time for me to go sit, sit out. Instead, he says, no, give me the ball. Here we go. <laughs> and he gets a towel and he wraps it around his waist and he goes and he starts washing their feet. The mission is love. The mission is service. So this is what Jesus does when the time is short. Um, And this is why it says that he, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end, all the way till the clock runs out. (laughs) He's loving his disciples. Um, And here is one of the craziest parts of this whole thing to me. Judas is going to betray Jesus. Judas is the one who sells Jesus for money. Uh, He would rather have money than have Jesus. And Jesus knows that. He knows that in advance. And he doesn't wait until Judas leaves and then wash the rest of the disciples' feet. But he washes all their feet, Judas included. He loves Judas even though Judas doesn't love him back. He serves Judas, even though Judas is about to stab him in the back. Hold on to that. We'll come back to that uh, later. When he is going around and he's washing their feet, we have that uh, understandable reaction by Peter, where Peter says, no, you're not going to wash my feet. You should not be doing this. And then Jesus responds to Peter patiently, as he does, (laughs) and says, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. And then, of course, Peter 
overdoes it again, the other side. He's just like a pendulum, right? And so he goes all the way to the other side. Oh, don't just wash my feet then. My hands and my head as well. And Jesus is like, I think I know what I'm doing. <laughs> I don't need your coaching. But thanks anyway, Peter. Um, why don't you just go along with what I've said? We'll do it that way. And so Jesus washes his feet. But, uh, but this idea of unless I wash you, you have no part with me, I think is important <laughs> for us to understand. It's important for Peter too. But it's important for us to understand that I think we have the instinct of uh, having our relationship with God very much like what Peter had here which was still very much this idea of, no, 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 I will honor you, I will reverence you, but I'm not going to let you do anything for me. I'll do this on myself. I'll take care of it on my own. And uh, this is, you know, there was a, a time when Abraham had gone after some folks and uh, then he, he gives back all the stuff. He says, I don't, I'm not going to keep anything. I don't want you to ever be able to say that you did anything to help me out. And I think there's this, in a lot of ways, that's, commendable, but I think we have this streak of independence that runs in there, uh, in us, that starts at a young age, like when we're very little and we're saying uh, to our parents, no, I, no, mommy, I do it by myself. <laughs> and there's that streak of independence that says, I want to be able to say, I did it. We have this whole idea in our culture of, you know, the self-made person. I did it on my own. I started from nothing, and I worked my way up, and I did it. And in a lot of ways, the, uh, the work ethic that is being uh, held up to be admired is something worthy of being admired. However, where it gets us into trouble is when the idea of being self-made and independent causes us to reject or overlook the gifts and the help that others have given. And so we have here Peter saying, no, Jesus, I don't need your help. I've got this on my own. And Jesus says, if you don't accept my help, then you don't know what this is all about. If you can't accept me washing your feet, how in the world are you going to accept me forgiving your sins? How in the world are you going to accept me dying on your behalf? if you won't even let me wash your feet. And I think a lot of us come to the um, scriptures and we say, look, I like a lot of the stuff Jesus says. I will honor him. I will, you know, reverence him that way. But as far as forgiveness, no, no, I'm not going to accept that. You know, what I've done is too bad or what I've done shouldn't be forgiven, and I'll just have to, I'll have to deal with that on my own. I'll, I'll pay the, own, the consequences for that myself, or I will uh, figure out how to work that out somehow. I don't need you to wash me. And Jesus says, you do need me to wash you. You do need me to wash you. And hopefully, if we understand that, we'll swing just as far as Peter did and say, wash me all over Clean me all the way through. But Jesus knows what he's doing. Once he finishes uh, washing their feet, though, he asks them this question. He goes through the whole thing. He washes their feet. He has this interaction with Peter. And then he says to them, Do you understand 
what I have done for you. Do you understand? And that is the question for us this morning. Do we understand what he has done for us? Do we understand not only about the washing the feet, but also about the going to the cross? About the dying for our sins that we can be clean? For raising again to new, to new life, that we can have new life. Do we understand what he has done for us? And uh, I'm guessing that for a lot of us, no. We don't really understand. Um, Andrew Peterson puts it in a song, you know, we've heard this story all our lives. Still, we feel the pain of the crucified, and the end still comes as a surprise. Because every year, even though this is what we talk about week in and week out, this is what we celebrate every Sunday, this is what we celebrate uh, definitely every Easter Sunday, it still takes us by surprise because it is hard to understand what's really going on here. And I'll uh, point you to two parts that help uh, make this clear. One is at this point, he says, you call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. And he says, but, I, but I've done this for you. And I think at this point, they say, okay, okay. So our teacher, who is kind of above us in this way, in that culture, that's the way that works. So he's above us, and yet he is stooping down to serve us. Okay, we got that. But they still don't understand if that's the way they're seeing it. Because it's not just about, you know, their, their teacher who's a little above, who stoops down a little below. But you read passages like John 1, or you read passages like Philippians 2, you read passages like Colossians 1, and you see Jesus not as just a little above, but as the very image of God, as the Word who has become flesh and made his dwelling among us. And, uh, and so it's not just a little above. The one who is with God from the very beginning, who is way above, maybe off the screen here, but <laughs> way above, who stoops that low, for his disciples. And so that's why the, the hymn of praise that uh, Paul gives us in Philippians chapter 2 is, uh, is so amazing. He says um, that Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. That should blow our minds. And he says, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is part of what they should understand as he takes, off, uh, as he takes the towel and goes to wash their feet. That this is the love, the self-giving love of God in action in their midst for them. That's what the washing of the feet is about. That's what the going to the cross is about. That's what the coming to earth was about. The self-giving love of God for the good of his people. 
But the other thing we often miss is that he continues and says, now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Does this mean that we are to physically go get water and wash each other's feet? I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But I don't think it's limited to that. I think that what Jesus is doing here is an act of humility and service. And I think that what we are seeing with this is Jesus is saying, you know, as he concludes, very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. In other words, you have seen me do this. You haven't maybe yet fully understood who I am that's doing this, but you've seen it. You've seen this in action. You have received this gift of grace and of humble service that is love in action for you. Now, I want to make it clear. This is not just my mission. This is your mission. This is the mission of the human being. That Jesus, as the one uh, true human who we talked about is the son of man, who actually gets it right, shows us what it's like to live as human beings were created to live in uh, perfect union and connection with God and in perfect relationships with other people. That's what Jesus does. And that's what everybody is actually created to do and is called to do. And we can only do this in him. So we receive this from him. And he says, now you go do it. You go do it. We don't know how much time is left on our clock. But whether the time is long or whether the time is short, the mission is the same. And it's not about scoring points. The mission is love. The mission is service. And he says, you'll be blessed if you do them. Now, I told you we're going to come back to one thing. And this is the part that we all hate. (laughs) So why not end there? This is not just a mission of love and of humble service to the people we like or to the people who like us. This is why I pointed out earlier that Jesus knew that Judas was about to stab him in the back, that he was about to betray him, he was about to sell him out for 30 pieces of silver. And he still washes Judas' feet, just the same as he washes James and John and Peter. He washes Judas. The mission is love, and the mission is service. And it's not for us to decide uh, who we will and won't love or who we will and won't serve based on how they treat us. The mission is love. The mission is service. Even to our enemies. And the reason we don't like that is because we have people we don't want to serve, people that we don't like and we don't uh, want to treat in loving ways because they don't deserve it. And I want us to just be clear that Jesus knows they don't deserve it. But he also knows that we don't deserve it. And that when he goes to the cross for us, he doesn't do it 
for us because we deserve it. He did it for us because we didn't deserve it, but out of love. And so then he says to us, the mission for us is the same. Whoever your neighbor is, whoever the people are that you interact with, and which now may be even from a distance, (laughs) the mission is love. The mission is service to them, regardless of how they um, reciprocate. Uh, So, let us not reject this gift like Peter tried to do. (laughs) Let us receive it as those who understand the great lengths that Jesus came to love us and to serve us. And the one who has called us to do the same, that we would know the blessing of the real life through him if we do them. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day that you have made. Lord, we thank you for, uh, we thank you for Jesus. God, we thank you for the amazing love and mercy and grace the forgiveness that he has given, and Lord, uh, also the example, the one who has uh, given more than we could ever give, who has loved more than we could ever love, and yet calls us to follow his lead. Lord, so many times Jesus says throughout the Gospels, follow me. And yet we hear that and don't follow. We hear that and we think it means listen to my teachings. Talk about the things that I do. Marvel at his, um, at the signs and his wonders. Lord, help us to hear again Jesus' call to follow him and what it means to truly understand uh, the mission that you have given to all people to live life with you on your terms and in your ways or to truly love you with all of our heart and our soul and our mind and our strength and to truly love our neighbors as ourselves. We pray all all these things in the name of Jesus who taught us to pray. In our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power, and the glory forever. Amen.